0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American Patriots and Minimans standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property. Once again, here to see our podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here for Friday. We love Friday, even though it is cold and dreary. For a May 6th, pretty unbelievable how cold it has been in the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic. I guess it must be the global warming, you know, because up is down, down is up. Hot is cold, man is woman, criminal is victim. And, of course, illegal alien is citizen, medicine is poison, and poison is medicine. That is pretty much where we are. And now, according to Bill Lee, the Republican governor of Tennessee The more you lock up criminals, the more crime you get. The more you release them, the less crime you get. He put that out in a statement yesterday. Mm. So we'll be getting to that. But more broadly, how is it that we have Republicans, okay? Republican governors of red states that are to the left of the average Democrat voter on a lot of issues. That's how out of touch they are. They are more pro-criminal than, any, than an average Democrat. They're more pro-open borders, pro-fundamentally transforming refugee resettlement than the Democrats. They are more pro-foreign engagements that are just bizarre than anyone. It's this just insane way of thinking. You see, if you have your average Democrat, they might be taken in by some of the rhetoric and brainwashing, uh, media control, But assuming they're not total hacks, at some point, inflation's going to get bad enough that it affects them. They're like, dude, we got to do something. Crime gets bad enough, in particular in their neighborhoods. And this is why people are clamoring, okay? The average Democrat voter is to the right of your most conservative, like elite-type conservative establishment Republican. And we're going to discuss some of this political science today with Pedro Gonzalez. One of, I think, the up-and-coming young thinkers... Um, in this movement of ours that is not about any label. It's about simply recognizing the system is irremediably corrupt and broken and needs to be burned down to the ground and we need to rebuild something else somewhere in some different way that actually achieves our goals. And this is about broadly achieving goals. Life, liberty, property. Okay? It's not about any one strategy or even any one policy in a vacuum. This is what people need to understand. You can't get stuck on nostalgia of the past. Oh, Daniel, did you evolve? Did you change? I thought conservatives used to believe this. We believe the same things we always did, and those of you who know me from day one know I've never changed, really, on a single issue. But sometimes a specific policy or strategy... Because you failed to do the right policy at the time, it takes a different tact to land in the same place. Ultimately, we support the goals of the preamble, right? Establishing justice, secure um, domestic uh, tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, secure the blessings of liberty and prosperity, and make sure everyone lives free and safe. Okay, the, the the goals of government never changed. But this is why I differ strategically in the way to approach the abortion issue, the way to approach this so-called private sector, the way to approach policing even, the way to approach um, the judiciary. You know, everyone's all into, oh, we need to protect the integrity of the courts. I'm like, no, use what the Democrats are saying That, oh, there's this right-wing court to say, all right, let's delegitimize the courts and let's devolve the power back to the states because the goal has to be national divorce, self-separation. So I'm going to push anything that will achieve that goal. And a perfect example of this is the so-called private sector. And I think this is really the linchpin of the divide between the phony right and people like us that are really trying to solve issues and this sits at the nexus of why red states aren't red, why particularly the governors are horrible. Mark my words, I will stand by this. Every single one, except for DeSantis. If you start questioning me and say, well, what about this one, what about that one? Believe me, I have answers for that. Every single one. Yes, that includes the governor of South Carolina, governor of Oklahoma, and certainly the governor of Tennessee and the governor of South Dakota, as well, but Wyoming, North Dakota, Idaho, all of them. Horrible. They're a lot worse in private than than what they're willing to say publicly, but even then, a lot of them, if you look at what they say publicly, is insane. Why? There's a few reasons. And we're going to bring in Pedro to co-host for the rest of the show so you get his perspective. But just to update you on some of what's going on, my thesis is a big part of it is corporate America. And this is where understanding outcomes and the political landscape and why we're here and how to get out of it matters beyond just dogmatically adhering to some sort of nostalgia of the past, some simplistic nostalgia. Public sector, bad. Private sector, good. Well, the government is bad. But that is back when we had an independent private sector starting in the 60s with the Great Society and, and increasing of welfare and increasing going on and on and on, a little bit of a reprieve during the Reagan years, but then went back the other way and got really bad over the last 15 or so years. Where because we didn't have a free market and we regulated the heck out of business and we had market distortions beyond belief, what it did was... Not just harm small business, but it created a monopoly of a small group of controlling entities in every major sector. Tech, healthcare, financial services, banking, you name it. Okay? This is the biggest principle you need to understand. So what happened was, not only was the private sector then no longer a bulwark against it, it was the public sector, but it was worse than that because they're unelected, so you can't hit at them, but they're completely propped up by government working in concert with them, working to write the policies to box out the consumer and other competition. And then ultimately culminating in the last few years where they work together, not just from a financial and, and economic uh, standpoint, but culturally and even physically to control our bodies, control our culture, and rule over us. It's self-evident in the healthcare sector, but it's certainly true in pretty much every other major sector of the economy. So that's what we have now. So if you're like, if you went to sleep since 1985 and you wake up today and you're still like, Man, we got to promote business and uh, corporations against the government. Dude, you missed the boat. The corporations are the government because we don't have a small business anymore. We don't have mid-sized business. We don't have decentralized uh, private sector. The whole point was decentralization to fight central power. They used that to more effectively empower the central control of government. In many respects, we have what's worse than Europe. Okay? Europe had more uh, pure socialism. We have venture socialism. So you have the greed and the ingenuity and the money of the private sector, but you don't have the inherent check and balance of consumerism and free market, you know, supply and demand, because you have the government propping them up with automatic guaranteed income and certainly you see this, nowhere is this more evident than with the vaccines and Pfizer and Moderna. Marketed, distributed, mandated, every aspect of government and culture. Absolved of any liability, even for, for straight up genocide. Funded beyond belief with tens of billions of dollars. And again, mandated. They work together. Okay. So with that, I want to kind of tie that into one news story today. A lot of you saw that the government basically put the nail in the coffin of the J&J shot. And they, they said no one under 18 should get it. And even over 18, only if you absolutely can't get Moderna and Pfizer. Now, I'm not here to defend J&J. It's a kill shot. It's a clot shot. It's horrible. But there is no evidence that it is any better or worse than Pfizer and Moderna. Okay? They're like, hey, J&J causes blood clots. They say there's six deaths. Dude, there's tens of thousands of deaths. D- like, it's unbelievable. You mean to tell me Moderna and Pfizer don't cause blood clots? You look at the tens of thousands in theirs. Remember, already in October, NPR reported that the hospitals were full of people with blood clots. They admitted it wasn't COVID. They said, blood clots, chest pain, trouble breathing. Look it up. It's an NPR article. um, You know, October 6th or something of last year. J&J only accounts for 3% of all doses administered in the U.S. 97% are Pfizer and Moderna, a little bit more Pfizer. So, dude, (laughs) the 3% ain't accounting for all that. I mean... I didn't look up the blood clotting. That might take some legwork, but Open VAERS does it for you, um, the breakdown of myocarditis. You look at myocarditis, there's almost 40,000 entries in VAERS, and CDC researchers in JAMA now admit that it's underreported, as we well know, woefully underreported, and guess what? Guess what? 99% of them are Pfizer and Moderna. Just 1% is J&J, actually less than its share of the of the doses. So they're admitting this is so dangerous. Cause blood clots. Don't use it. But use the other stuff that's at least as bad. And the Danish study, if anything, showed that the mRNAs were worse than the adenovirus vector vaccines like uh, J&J and um, AstraZen- AstraZeneca. Notice AstraZeneca's all over the world never has been approved in the US. Again, I'm not defending it. They're all kill shots. What I'm trying to prove is that Everything is governed by the venture socialism. They created a monopoly that now literally owns government. So we've come full circle. The point of the private sector was to be a bulwark against the government. Now it's the worst aspect of it. So it's a permanent rent seeker in government. So they control the policies. They know that mRNA is where it's at. They have 15 more of these lined up for the future. And probably other technologies aside from vaccine that they're using mRNA. So that's, they, they're putting out a cartel and cartel hit on J&J, and they ensured that, that AstraZeneca was never approved. That's what this is all about. Because how could you look at someone and downright say you're going to die from J&J, but downright mandate the other two when we have more VAERS entries on the other two? Or at least as many per capita. So that's the point I wanted to get out today, kind of set up today's discussion. Now, today's show is sponsored by Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative uh, mobile provider. Look, speaking of this corporate monopoly, the way to break them is by not patronizing them. Telecoms is a huge, huge deal. Telecoms is spying on us. They're giving government our, our data. Now that DHS has created their uh, spying department, Their disinformation department, they're going to work with telecoms. Now more than ever, you have to ditch the major carriers, sign up with Patriot Mobile. They have plans that fit your budget. U.S.-based customer service team that always speaks English. And unlike the others, they donate to your values. They share your values. They support causes. Fighting for sanctity of life, constitutional rights, religious freedom, um, and veterans. Go to PatriotMobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation With the offer code CR, veterans and first responders save even more. Now is the best time to switch. PatriotMobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT. It's time we support companies that love America, love you, and share your values. So the reason I'm focusing so much on the corporatism is that it's not the side dish here. It's not like, we need to fight for our values, but they're kind of in the way. So as collateral damage, we're even willing to attack the corporations and butt heads with them and oppose them. No, that is the main course. That, that's not like, you know, a reluctant ancillary detriment to what we're doing. That is the point. And, and that's what was so important about what DeSantis did, because I will tell you, When you look at every bad thing these Republican governors do, when we ask why, why is it we don't have a single state like Florida, not even close, again, every Republican governor, bar none aside from DeSantis, is is horrible. I mean, like, I can't even work with them. I can't even make pretend a couple of them I tried, and they are just worse than I even thought. It's because you, you take a small state like Arkansas, South Dakota, South Dakota is owned by healthcare. Arkansas is owned by Walmart, Tyson's JB Hunt. They will not deviate from them. So they'll actually ironically be to the left of where a lot of Democrat voters are, because only a bunch of retards think that way. And those are the corporate shills, the elitists. Um hence like Democrats in Memphis are are pining for uh, tough on crime laws. And you know, Bill Lee is like, screw that, you know. Um you know, I'll go along with the Koch brothers and and Soros and what they want. So that's the level of the GOP establishment. But then there's another half of this. A lot of you have noticed my rhetoric has been evolving, not changing, but evolving to un- meet the threat that we face. It's not just the Republican Party. At some point, you have to go after the conservative movement, the even even bona fide ones strategically, they just don't get it. So again, the Republicans, they do get it, and they're, again, literally part of the thing. I mean, the you know, globalists just created two parties in every Western democracy, and they split up their, they diversified their portfolio, done. That doesn't bother me. I'm not befuddled by Mitch McConnell's and all these governors. I'm just saying that's how they act, and that's why you need to attack their the source of their strength. But conservatives who don't realize this and get, you know, off into these things they get off into ukraine they get off into um, old paradigms and i'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're sincere that's a different point they don't understand where we are what has happened and to me one of the pioneers in this up young up-and-coming voices is pedro martinez some of you might have seen him a lot on tucker show um, you could find him at Americus on Twitter. It's E M E R I T I C U S. He's a senior writer at Chronicles, a magazine of American culture. He used to write for American Greatness. It's a must, must follow on Twitter. He has been one of these young voices, came into politics a little later than I did, and is like, wait a minute. So called conservatism is failing us just as much as Republicans are. And you know He really was ahead of this time, and I think a lot of people are now seeing this. And I figured today, rather than me just rambling on for the rest rest of the show, I want to talk about some of the news of the day, having him co-host together. So it's a pleasure to have Pedro join us and co-host. Pedro, thanks so much for joining us on this Friday at Blaze Media. Oh, thanks
1: so much for having me. And I... I think you said Martinez. My last name is Gonzalez, but it's it's totally fine. It happens all the time. Like <laughs> Mar- Martinez and Gonzalez are like two of
0: the most common Spanish surnames, so it I mean, Jeez, uh, it's like it's like I'm the happy. David Horowitz thing. Everyone calls me David, yeah. you know.
1: Right. I think I even used to do that too, by the way. I think it, it, among my friends I would say, Oh yeah, David Horowitz really knows what climate is.
0: Yes, Pedro Gonzalez, but luckily you didn't <laughs> miss the Twitter name because that's still that convoluted name. Um <laughs> I have the same problem. I couldn't get my name on Twitter. All right. So I want to start out with today, I think, a very profound quote that you put out. You you said this on Twitter yesterday. I want you to elaborate. Americans need to understand that they're living under the heel of an evil empire that hates them and has no relationship whatsoever to the old republic. You say Americans – but I think conservatives in particular really don't understand that.
1: Yeah. I think that's, I guess you could make that case that conservatives are particularly lacking because they are the ones who you think would be those to pick up on this, right? They would, based on their appreciation for American history and all of that, you think that this group in particular would be the ones to be saying this the loudest and all the time, but that's not the case. And what I mean by that is I can't come to any other conclusion when I look at how this country is governed and we think about the fact that this government locked people into their home, uh, locked people in their homes, forced them to take an experimental vaccine, uh, the side effects we're only beginning to reckon with, uh, and are also being suppressed without actually being told the truth about, a government that doesn't care about Uh, unlimited amounts of illegal immigration, which just completely undermines the salience of both sovereignty and citizenship. Two things without which you you don't have a country, right? Uh, A a government that does everything that it can to get Americans involved in more wars that they gain nothing from, which is what you're seeing right now in Ukraine. There's just every... I mean, a, a government that sends Americans to die overseas... And then when when they come back home, what do they get? Uh, What what do our veterans get? They get astonishingly high suicide rates. They get opioid addictions. I mean, it's just the the list of the litany goes on and on of things that basically our government has either overseen directly or turned a blind eye to. And I just can't come to any other conclusion other than the people that run this country, the ruling class, the elites, whatever you want to call them, they hate you. Uh, And they don't care about the founding doc. If you're a conservative, you know, I'm sure that you really cherish the founding documents, the constitutional stuff, which is good. But the people that run this country, they don't. Uh, they, they, they laugh at people like you because they know that they can kind of abuse these things uh, in order to, to get an upper hand over you. And I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's a really difficult thing to swallow. But I think it's important actually, because once you accept that, you know, once you accept that, that, that this kind of the game is rigged, that people running this country hate you, then you can actually start to fight back. Then you can untie your hands and actually defend yourself. And importantly, like the way of life that you actually want to live.
0: It, it, it's exactly this point that you cannot share a country with people like that. It's this is not I, again. I, I think there's two factions on the right or supposed right there's most elected republicans who are literally subversive right i mean it's not it's not that they don't recognize this it's that they're a part of it it's just it's a it's a complete mirage but i think you and i are talking about people that i think legitimately are conservative i have worked with in the past they're they're decent people they're not bad i don't think they mean i think they mean well and they they talk about well we should be doing this or we you know typically we didn't believe in that and it sounds like you're saying that's the central point. In in Reagan's time, you go back 40, 50 years, it's profligate the government, they do stupid things, they're incompetent, you know, you already, everyone had their jokes about, you know, bureaucracies, they can't get stuff done properly and you cut wasteful spending. And and that's kind of the scope of it. And I think with foreign policy too, right? Where you know, when you have a dispute going on, immediately your country is sacred, your government not country, but your government is sacred, right? Every they're, they're doing everything right, so the other guy is doing everything wrong, and and I always took that face value. I'm a, I'm a rally around the flag guy. But what happens when you reach a point when your own government is just as evil as Iran, North Korea, China, and Al-Qaeda? They are literally trying to kill you. They They are doing the most evil things. There is nothing they won't do to achieve their goal. And then you have... A dispute with Putin now none of us love Putin but it's like dude there are some legitimate it's not a matter of like oh you could just trust that America's in the right this ain't America working with Pope John Paul and Margaret Thatcher saving Eastern Europe from the Soviet Union talk about that in the context of Ukraine and the reason why I bring that up is because I have a lot of anguish over this I thought after two years of COVID finally painfully we would have at least the conservative movement never falling for the next current thing. But, but I looked at Ukraine, and we actually went backwards. Even an element of those who understood the problems with the COVID fascism early on, they're peeled off. And, and they're, the Freedom Caucus, most of the members, except for a few, their only gripe with Biden... Is that he didn't give enough money and weapons quickly enough, and they're like, Don't load it up with extraneous things. Kind of like, remember the COVID bills, don't have the Kennedy Center funding. And like, no, the COVID bills are the problem.
1: Yeah. 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 Don't load it with pork. No, I think I think that's a really good point. But right now there's this whole uh news cycle being driven by the comments of um Trump's former Secretary of Defense Esper. And I think that it's actually really, really illuminating because here is a secretary of defense who thought it was absurd that the president of the United States viewed cartels who are responsible for human trafficking, who facilitate illegal immigration, who help flood the country with things like fentanyl. Esper thought it was insane that Trump wanted to use the military to help secure the border. For him, it was just beyond the pale of reason that the national security mission includes the, uh, the Mexican border. And I think that says everything about how, again, how this country is actually run instead of how we would like to think that it's run. The Pentagon, the Secretary of Defense, the people that you actually trust with the mission of safekeeping this country don't actually really care about this country. And instead, their main priority is waging these proxy wars and Ukraine is exactly that. And it's hilarious because there has been this constant denial in the media that it is insane to suggest that Ukraine is a proxy war. No, Ukraine is a fight for democracy, for nationalism. We're not, we're not doing anything more than you know giving them, giving them the, the tools they need to, to beat Russia. But now it comes out that U.S. intelligence is actively helping Ukraine fight this war. And I mean that that is a huge thing because it it you could argue that that is a kind of act of war itself when when the United States is openly uh, because the it is it is a really strange story basically it looks like someone in the intelligence community leaked to the media that the intelligence community is helping Ukraine why like that is insane on its face because then Russia can actually make the case well then we can retaliate against Americans directly now and and then. The intelligence community backpedals and says that the, the leak wasn't real. That's not happening. But in either case, I think the point is, is clear here. The people that are supposed to be the adults in the room that you're uh, entrusting with national security have no idea what they're doing, and they don't care about American safety. They're, they're actively endangering you. And, and again, the, the narrative around Ukraine is that this is a war for democracy, uh, that if we don't stop Russia and Ukraine, you know Nebraska's next. It's totally false. I mean, it. I don't think you can do this in, in a single segment like this. But basically, the United States. I mean, you can go. Let's let's start with Obama. Basically, the United States, for the longest time, has sought to use Ukraine as exactly that—a proxy in its new cold war with Russia. Going back to 2013, 2014, under the Obama administration, uh, the United States government helps facilitate this color revolution uh, that results in a kind of uh, extremely Washington docile regime being installed that is also anti, uh, extremely rapidly anti-Russian. Uh, in 2015, when Ukraine and Russia signed a ceasefire agreement, you've got uh, Lindsey Graham and John McCain in Ukraine telling Ukraine that basically encouraging them to violate the ceasefire, that we're going to go there and arm them and help them beat Russia. And this is like a year after a ceasefire has been signed. And like this is I'm just giving you like a like a, a really, really small snapshot of this, but basically the, the point is the same. The United States government has basically done everything it can to make this war inevitable and is actively undermining a peaceful resolution. Why does that matter for you as an American and specifically as a conservative? Because if you're a conservative, then you believe that as a republic that, you know, Americans have a say in in things like foreign policy. Well, you don't. You don't have a say. I'm I'm, I'm not, you know, that's uh, that's obviously not my preferred model, but that is what the United States government is telling you. We are going to stay in this war until it's over. And if that means that you have to send your sons and daughters to fight it, well, that's too bad.
0: You know one of the things, again, along this theme, I, I want you to help us get into the psychology of conservative politicos, let's call them that. Meaning as opposed to your just average Joe Trucker, um, you know, a guy who's involved in politics. There's a certain, t- dare I say, I use the R word, I'll say convoluted way of thinking among conservative politicos that normal people don't think. And I, I'm trying to find the source of it and the mentality behind it. I don't know if it's a Stockholm syndrome, but help me out here, because I know you've you've really done good work on this in the past, diagnosing it. So I understand George W. Bush. Again, people like McConnell, Bush. George W. Bush came out yesterday and said Zelensky is like Churchill. I totally get that. I mean, again, he's part of it. What I don't get is people like Jim Jordan, and, and I'm just— I, it's just because I know that he had a tweet: "We're all Zelensky now," and he was like pumping him up, and 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 the majority of those like him were saying that. I mean, it's not just him. I have him off off the top of my head, except for exceptions like 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 Massey and Marjorie Taylor Greene and you know a few others. That's that's how they're like. And and I was here's what I can't relate to. We we already talk about the neocon mentality that they just can't get off of this urge that. Every time there's a conflict, you have to get involved, and there's always necessarily a black and white side. and you know just because something's evil in a, in a vacuum, it means you have to dive head first and ignore all the other consequences, not learn your lessons. That's more strategic thinking. And I you know, th- they're, they're very dumb on that. But it's more a sensitivity. Here's what I can't understand. We literally just experienced what I call a genocide against Americans. I mean, you started to talk about it. The COVID stuff was unbelievable. We have experienced cathartic events in America the last few years, mainly with COVID, but also with the BLM, anarchy, crime wave, an illegal immigration wave that that trumps anything we've ever seen. The country seated with Afghans beyond belief, like the worst. You know, they're never vetted properly, but this was like unbelievable. Um, the whole January 6th stuff and the fallout and the marginalization and the spying and the persecution. I mean, we literally have North Korea at home. And the range among the Freedom Caucus, I'm talking about the Freedom Caucus types, okay? I'm not talking about Mitch McConnell. Um, and, and, and the equivalent of them among our colleagues on the outside. They ranged from ambivalent to sometimes on a little bit on the wrong side to sometimes a little bit on the right side. Of those issues. But when it came to Ukraine, they literally the testosterone levels just went through the roof. They were like willing to lay on the tracks. They're like, they were literally, literally saying, let's cut out every visa to Russians and deport Russian nationals. Something you could never say for anyone else, even when there was more ubiquitous yeah. trouble from them, like the Islamic yeah. nations, Iranian nationals, or whatever, you know, never would have said that, never could have. What is the psychology of this conservative mirror image of leftist virtue signaling that you always have to up? You could only care about other countries' people, but not your own.
1: I think on the one hand, it could be a kind of really poisonous form of altruism, which is basically exactly that, thinking that it's morally righteous to care about everyone except for yourself and your own people. But that's, that's obviously not true at all, especially not right now when your own people are suffering. But on the other hand, I think it's talking about T-levels. I think it's something like sublimation, which is basically they're diverting the helplessness that they feel about what they can do in their own country uh, out toward Russia. So like you said, like, you know, we're going to deport all the Russian national, basically kind of like taking out their anger on on Russia uh, and doing what they can do against Russia, uh, which is what they can't do with like illegal aliens and stuff like that. So in some ways, it's, it's almost like, I mean maybe this is reading too much in it, but it's like these people are actually powerless and they know it. And presented with an opportunity to kind of be cruel, uh, they're they're going to take latch onto it and kind of beat their chest because it makes them feel like they're not powerless. But it also flies in the face of everything that they believe. Like you said, their complaint about Biden is that he has not done enough. I've actually lost track of how many billions on billions of dollars that we've already pledged to Ukraine for this war effort, which, by the way, is just just going to become part of a gigantic international money laundering scheme. But the Freedom Caucus, I'm sorry, I thought this was the limited government uh, camp. What is limited government? about just writing one massive check after another for a kleptocracy. That's what Ukraine is, in fact. Again, this is actually insane if you think about it. Literally up until this war, Ukraine was considered one of the most corrupt countries in Europe that has been at the center of one scandal after another. Scandals that spill over into the United States and actually affect Americans. But then overnight, Ukraine is whitewashed and becomes a democracy that we can yeah. trust with billions and billions and billions of dollars. And, you know, again, you think Democrats would be the ones that don't have problems writing these checks, but now it's the limited government guys that are okay with writing these checks and also taking a fundamentally statist position. What I mean by that is what they're saying is, is if you criticize our foreign policy, you're committing an act that is immoral. And the unspoken assumption there is that the government is now the arbiter of morality. And therefore, if you criticize the government and its policies, then you've you've come down on the wrong side of history. And and again, this is the Freedom Caucus we're talking about. So we're assuming that these people actually have something like principles. Everything they're doing right now amid this war violates their principles.
0: The the reason why I say that, Pedro, is because I I start off the show with um, corporatism and, and how much of a problem it is, and it is. But there's two layers. That's the problem with most of the, the, the powerful elected Republicans. But what I'm saying is, that, and I think you agree, when you see at the conservative level, the conservative movement, some of their elected officials, but you know on the outside, I, I genuinely see that there's an intellectual and moral problem. Because it, it, a lot of them, they're not bought out. They don't have any ties to anything. That's not what's motivating them. Um, Because there you could just bust off the pay for play and you could solve that. But this is much deeper. It's a values problem. And I want to I want to transpose that this whole pseudo morality that you worry about what you're not charged to worry about with as an elected American official. And then what you are, you ignore Um, the whole social conservatism and you'd maybe say the Christian right. I watched in my lifetime a massive transformation how at an establishment level, it went from you know fighting you know the culture war, the homosexual agenda, which is really – I mean, that was really the big threat. And then when the threat came due, they abandoned the field, and that's not what social conservatism was about anymore. It was about funding AIDS in Africa, which, by the way, now we know, courtesy of RFK's book, you're actually funding genocide. Uh, Fauci's uh, safari uh, uh, adventures there uh, was disgusting – um, it was about jailbreak, refugee resettlement, illegal immigration, right? That's what they – all these Republican governors, I'll call them out, Billy in Tennessee, Kevin Stitt in Oklahoma, they are rapidly. they actually use evangelical dogma to promote jailbreak and refugees. They've been doing that forever. So I'm going to – I, I want to I wanna give you this because there's a lot of pay-for-play. There's a lot of Coke money. But I do think that there's an, a moral problem. Yeah. So, so imagine you're the governor of Tennessee. So this is where I've grown and matured as a conservative. I used to think that Republicans, the problem was, with the exception of a certain number, they're just scared. You know, a certain number I knew were corrupt, but, you know, other ones, they're, they're just scared. But then when I started realizing over the last 10 years, they would take like 80-20 winning issues and they would sabotage them. They'd take the other side. I'm like, what, what, are you, what are you doing? So imagine being the Tennessee governor. It's the most trending red state, right? It's the only state where Trump actually improved on his margin. Um, I think like, you know, like 117 out of 120 counties went for Trump. Um, but then even in the counties that didn't, all of the leaders of M- Memphis, including the legislators and the mayor, supported the truth and sentencing bill. Okay, that was to basically ensure not expand sentencing, which should be expanded because the sentencing is too weak, but to make sure that you serve 100 percent of whatever that sentence is for basically murder, armed robbery and carjacking and similar similar things to that. And it passed every Republican in the legislature and and like half the Democrats, but particularly the ones from the hard affected areas, the the black neighborhoods that are getting crushed with uh, crime. Memphis has the worst Memphis Metro. Metro is the is the most violent metro in the country. And Governor Bill Lee he would have vetoed it. It was like kind of like a veto statement, but he would have been overridden so he just didn't sign it, it comes law and he said that this is a horrible bill. It's going to cause more crime. How do you get in the mindset of him because as you all know, more more than anyone except for me, you've written about this. You've covered it under Trump. Bill Lee is not the exception. He represents what I believe, to varying degrees, is every governor that I could think of offhand, except for DeSantis.
1: Yeah, I honestly, this is a really difficult question because you want to assume maybe some kind of a bad motive, like they're they're being paid to take these positions. But I think it's much more difficult than that. I think that they actually believe in these things, and the problem with that is that you've got conservative governors in red states who are psychologically. Not all that different from governors in blue states, maybe what really sets them apart is the fact that they prefer like lower to taxes. but at the end of the day, they share many of the same assumptions and preferences as their blue state counterparts <clears throat> Excuse me. and how do you deal with that uh, i'm I'm not sure, but I think the fact that I think a huge problem actually is that we have not called enough attention to this. I think our hyper focus on things like Senate races and you've been really critical of this. Like I'll give this as an example. I'm happy J.D. Vance won his primary, but and I, he won his primary, by the way, by being openly critical of our approach toward Ukraine, which... So many people said it was suicide, that you cannot win a primary as a Republican while being openly critical of our involvement in Ukraine. And and yet, I mean, yes, he had the Trump endorsement and stuff like that. But still, if your platform is suicide, it's suicide. Clearly, his was not. But that really kind of sucks up all of our attention because then we think like, OK, then we, that's that's what our focus is on, these, these federal races, as you call them, uh, instead of these, the you know, who is actually running these the states, the red states, because that is ultimately a much, much bigger fight and and much more consequential, because governors have tons of power, as you're seeing right now in Florida. And I think that most, I would argue that most conservatives have no idea uh, about what Bill Lee is up to, just like a lot of conservatives were shocked when, when I went on Tucker Carlson and I did a segment talking about the governor of Utah, Spencer Cox, and how he vowed to veto a transgender sports bill that was hugely popular in, in, his, uh, in the state and that Republicans placed on his desk, you know, to their credit, they actually did, you know, they did a good thing. Uh, and he promised to veto it. Why? Because he thought it would offend LGBT activists. But they, they, they managed to override his veto. Uh, but but still, this is this like you said. This is not the exception. This is actually the rule. But we don't look for it. I, it's it's like we.
0: How do we, we break that cycle? How do we break the cycle of conservative failure, which is as follows? It's yeah. the more the conservatives and Republicans fail to deter the left the more it gives them runway to be even more radical. The more radical they are, the more conservative media focuses on how radical they are and elected Republicans are able to tacitly echo our broad rhetoric and complain about them and appear as conservative heroes. But the more they're able to be even farther to the left on a number of issues and you don't notice. So that's the Bill Bill Lee dynamic. Hannity brings him in on Fox as one of the anti-lockdown governors, by the way. You can go online. you could see he has this really gay ad promoting um masks. I mean, it's, it's on it's still on YouTube. Um I mean, total leftist, um horrible on that issue, by the way, but he knows where the line is. And then he's literally to the left of the polling of the Democrats on the crime issue, like, by a mile. It's insane. It's not just like he's not a moderate. I mean, this is like, yeah. Dukakis wasn't like that back in the day. I mean, this is just out of control, and and yeah. and I will tell you, Pedro, there is not even a filed challenger. Most other states is a no-name guy. Like aside from the governor, there's nobody. I looked it up. There's independents running. There's no no Republican. How do we break this cycle?
1: Yeah. Well, I think part of it actually requires us stepping outside of the traditional conservative media ecosystem, and you know, I say this as someone who—the only Fox show I go on is is Tucker's, because I think he's one of the only people that's actually willing to to issue these very same critiques. And as and, I mean, you you noted this as well, the American Conservative Union, which hosts CPAC, was also opposed to this bill. So it, it's not just the governors; it's like the entire. Conserv- the mainstream conservative movement infrastructure. Yes. Uh, and, and this comes on the heels of uh, Matt Schlapp talking about how brave that, that trans swimmer, I, the, the name is eluding me right now, but, but he was asked, you know, what do you think about this trans swimmer who's a biological male and like dominating all these, these female races? And he, I think he said something to the effect of like, well, they're, you know, they're brave and we should, yep. we should like you know, respect their story. That is the conservative movement in the United States. That, that, so that's I think, what I
0: mean. It's not like it's like, okay, the Daniel Horowitz is one to like abolish the Department of Education and they want to slash it by 50%, right? No, it's like they take on the most radical things that even the Democrats weren't pushing until three minutes ago.
1: Yeah, no, they, they absolutely do that. And I mean, that's that's... The solution is deceptively simple sounding. Well, we just need to look elsewhere for our news and information. But it's obviously much harder than that, just because of of how much power the traditional conservative media ecosystem has. And I think also, frankly, something that is just kind of innate to conservatives, that conservatives just don't like change or are very reluctant to change.
0: Yes. You know, I think this is is
1: actually. Yeah. And this is something that the left has to their advantage, that. You know they'll eat their own, and and like they they will launch revolutions against their own if they don't get their way. Uh, whereas conservatives are are very slow to change. They they like things as they are. They think that they can kind of reform things instead of you know launching a revolution to overthrow them. But that's actually the trick that the GOP and the conservative movement plays on you. It's it, you know incremental change. Well, okay, yeah, Matt Dray is a goof. The American Conservative Union is basically pro-crime, but just give it time. You know, we'll mm-hmm. fix it slowly, little by little. That doesn't actually ever happen. Instead, you just end up kind of accepting, like, well, this is just the way things are.
0: Now. This is what it is. The people have moved on. People don't like incarceration anymore. People are for the trans stuff, and and that's they they they. They play on a lot of emotions that even myself, I have, like I have this cloistered mentality, like we're beleaguered and, you know, we're a minority. So then we assume, well, we we must have loser views. And most people don't agree with it. Or like you said, they don't like change and things like that. But, you know, it's astounding if you look at Democrats. I mean, the issues that Republicans are on the other side of, I'm talking about the most prominent Republicans, the majority of them, would be the equivalent of majority of Democrats one day, not just being supportive of banning gay marriage, but like being like banning homosexuality. That would be the equivalent um, and, and like abolishing Obamacare. And then they don't even have a challenger, or like noise made about them, much less defeated in a primary. That's the equivalent, but it's just, I don't know. And, and, and part of the problem is, see, conservatives aren't frauds in the sense that they genuinely do fear the Democrats. Right. The, the, the fake Republicans don't because they are the same thing. Yeah. So they feast <laughs> off of that mentality like, do you want the Democrats? Oh, no, no, no. I don't want the Democrats. So they're so myopically focused on that. They don't realize how the Republicans moved over to window o- open. Yeah, no, that's totally right.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's no point in voting Republican if you're basically just going to get the same thing, but with maybe lower taxes. But then what's the point of lower taxes if even the Freedom Caucus is on board for sending billions and billions of your dollars overseas? I mean, does it make any sense in the long run? And this is why the Republican Party and the conservative movement has really, for the longest time, basically just managed to survive and thrive based on how horrible the alternatives are. But then you look back and you realize, like, wait, hold on. Like, we're all angry about the normalization of transgenderism and, and specifically with regards to children, right? But then you look behind you and your own conservative movement has basically come to, to peace with this and has now accepted, you know, the least radical aspect of this radical thing in society, uh, like in Matt Schlapp's case, which is not saying much. Like, that's, that's not actually a good thing. And but the worst part is is that then they'll do the next thing, which is then they will police other people who they'll they'll characterize as like hard right or far right.
0: Yep.
1: Who they're and, and those people that are considered hard right, far right, they're they were actually just normal like five years ago. <laughs> and and their and their views are actually probably more consistent with the average American, but for the GOP and for the conservative movement, they're they're now beyond the pale. And I think that is actually where I'm I'm, I'm much more bitter toward this whole thing because, like the the amount of of character assassination that goes into this stuff, and and ultimately the the amount of of kind of like tone policing that is behind this stuff. It is it ultimately is is it hurts it hurts us, and I guess if you're a Republican or a conservative, it hurts the very people that be, that they claim to care about. Which I mean, I would argue that they don't they don't actually care about it. Sure. A, a great example of this is is uh, Christine No.
0: Yes, I wanted to get to that. I wanted to, because I think that culminates all of this, that imagine everything we've gone through, and you're a Republican governor of a solid red state, regarded as, by the way, on paper, by, by the conservative media, not like Mike DeWine and, and, and Holcomb in Indiana, and something, you know, Larry Hogan, but regarded as like almost second after DeSantis, but in fact, her entire focus is on defeating the, 3.4 conservatives in that legislature and there's like none in the Senate and a handful in the house. And, um, you know, yeah. So she announced that she's recruiting candidates against them and for going after on transgenderism and for pushing a ban on mandates, um, because the big corporate interest in the healthcare sector wanted that there. Um, and I'm, and I'm looking, I'm like, I don't know how we fight this. So talk about what you know about the Christy Nome situation.
1: Yeah, there's, there's an article in the, I think it's the Indiana lawyer that gets into this, and it, it talks about how he is specifically going after one lawmaker named Fred Deutsch. And she apparently went on a radio program and openly accused Fred Deutsch of being a poor legislator doing damage to South Dakota's way of life. And if you read the article, that's all you get out of it, right. And the headline is something like, uh, Nome is you know taking on the hard right in her own party. and, and but the 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 main part of this article is that Nome is is actively policing her own party, looking for people to her right who she is characterizing as just kind of insane. And I mean, this is you really have to think about this. You've got a governor in a red state who is trying to rid her own party of people to her right. Why would you do that? It, it, like, just, just think about that. Yeah. Like, chew on that question. But in the article, it doesn't say anything about Fred Deutsch, except for the fact that Noam just characterizes him as a, as a bad legislator who's undermining South Dakota's way of life. But the funny thing about Deutsch is that a few years ago, Deutsch proposed a piece of legislation called House Bill 1057. And Nome. Uh, according to the Argus leader, had been really dismissive of HB 1057. Uh, This bill would have blocked hormone treatment, puberty blockers, or gender confirmation surgery for children under 16. She never supported it. And instead, she reframed it. She reframed it as intruding on parents' rights. And she said, when you take public policy and try to fill parenting gaps with more government, you have to be very careful about the precedent (laughs) you follow. So she inverted it. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, instead of instead of, you know, uh, it, it like she basically lied about what the bill actually does, which is protecting children from from a culture that pushes this, this stuff on them. I mean, we all know that teachers are actively pushing these ideas on kids. Right. And then like, what's next? Well, there's like there's a increasingly smooth pipeline that goes from your kid getting brainwashed. Uh, by some person behind your back and then them basically being protected by the state to get gender transition therapy. But these kinds of bills are intended to stop that from happening, at least for, you know, until they're, until they're older. And no reframed it as a bill that intrudes on parental rights. That, and again, that piece of legislation was proposed by Deutsch who she said is a horrible legislator and under like, is, I'm sorry. it's South Dakota's way of life uh, trans, yes. transgender children?
0: Yeah. Again, again, we're not talking about like abolishing the public schools or something like like some like far right thing. We're talking about the most far left thing being prevented in South Dakota. And but I'm gonna tell you, you take a poll. If you and I go into like circles of average like people that follow politics from the right, and we start saying Christy Noem's a radical leftist, they'll think we're insane. And 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 that this is the problem. She is regarded as like. An up and coming rising star conservative. And like, I'm telling you, everyone thinks I'm, I'm the Grim Reaper, you know, like, no one's good enough for you, Daniel, but it's the opposite. I so badly want someone because we don't have, we don't have. So like, I ignore one problem, two problem, three problems. I ignore that. I try to work, like, I praise Christy Nome up the wazoo in 2020. Um, Believe me, I remember her tenure in Congress. She was one of the biggest establishment guys around. But I, I understood, you know, it looked like she was coming our way on, on COVID, so I championed her. Now, deep down, I knew it was only because COVID didn't reach South Dakota, so she didn't have that pressure. But had it come there like the East Coast at first, she would have gone into it. But you know, I would give her credit. And then ultimately, even on that issue, she was like, "You're the tyrants telling private businesses what to do!" Unbelievable, and. This is the thing, like, our entire movement, they're on political fentanyl. And it's not just the traditional conservatives, even some of the younger Turks like you guys that came up on this, the more populist end, they're also getting distracted by memes or waste of time. Some are, with Trump, I think they're split. Some are still distracted by him. I, don't, I mean, what are your thoughts on, 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 on how to break yeah. out of this cycle?
1: Yeah, well, I think actually this is a huge problem in that going back to this topic, this theme of memes is that we allow basically liberal left dread to kind of inform how we look at issues. So maybe a good example is actually this whole the, the leaked Supreme Court draft opinion, right? which really kind of made heads explode on the left. Like you, you, um, without any exaggeration whatsoever, like you, you have people that were calling for interaction uh, for, for the, for the destruction of the Supreme court as an institution, you already have protests and stuff like that. Um, there are reports that the, the private information of, of the justices was, was leaked and, and posted online at a website, which, you know, that's, that's about as close as a call for violence against the justice on the Supreme court as you can get. Um, and so, I mean, yes, it's fine to kind of laugh at these people and how absurd they are. But the problem is, is that if you allow their reaction to an issue to basically define your, your entire perspective, that issue, then it is, it's, it's like you're chasing a shiny object that, that totally distracts you from the bigger picture. And I know that you have been critical about this. Uh, and I mean, you, you, you made a really great point. I actually was on another radio show the other day and, and I made a similar point that like if this if this actually happens, if the Supreme Court pulls the trigger on this and, and over, overturns Roe, nothing really changes. Like you're basically 20 or so states will ban abortion. There will be a bunch of states that have basically restrictions on abortion and then there'll be blue states that will have no restrictions on abortion. Uh, you've already got corporations that are going to facilitate people's movement and travel expenses to get abortions. So it's like it, it's a really powerful, symbolic victory. And I don't want to denigrate the, sure. you know, the pro-life people that really care about this, but it's a symbolic victory. It, it, it doesn't actually. Like, but it allows move, it, them
0: to, to, yeah. to validate the McConnells of the world.
1: Yes, that's, exact, that's exactly what I was getting to. It's a symbolic victory for us, but it plays into the conservative movement and GOP's hand in that now McConnell is the he is the hero of history. And actually, all of these establishment hacks are playing four-dimensional chess, and we have to keep them in office. And, and also, and this is the worst part: the people like us who are you know being critical of the establishment, we become the kooks, the the impatient. Radicals who just didn't know that you know Republicans were playing the long game, and this was totally part of the plan. But but again, nothing would actually change. I mean, there are all these other issues. Like you talking about pro life issues, you know what the actual pro life issue is? In my view, is this this crime against humanity that is the the vaccine regime? Like I I know that again, you've written about this. And
0: and and, and Pedro, name name me the Republicans raising issues with it. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I mean, I can't betray confidence here, but there is a pretty prominent uh, conservative that met with some, you know, frontline doctors and made it very clear, like, look, I'm against mandates, but I don't want to be perceived as anti-vax. It's all a posture. I'm like, dude. That was okay 16 months ago, but after everything we see, this thing is a death shot. What are you? What are you doing? You got to speak out. But aside from the Florida Department of Health, that's like, yeah, we're not going to promote this anymore, and we're going to recommend it against for kids. And aside from Ron Johnson, I think you know at a federal level has really openly, you know, supported the people that are doing this and held held a form on it there is not a single i mean this is the issue there's never been something of graver consequence that i could think of and they are all on the other side of the issue that matters so it's like oh i'm pro-life no you're not you're killing people and then also you know i want to i want to share the news another news story which is really my my column today uh while you're here with us to comment on it to, to our audience so Another way that we define our perception, our our strategy, by the reaction of the left. So, two things happened that, that fateful night this week. It was revealed that, you know, Alito had a majority opinion re- reversing Roe, but then that the fact that it was leaked. The entirety of the conservative media and the Republican ecosphere is all, like, going nuts over the leak. And... They're like that's everything, and you're you're harming the integrity of the court, and and of course it's you know disgusting what they did, and that, that they always did. We know that. I'm not disagreeing. To me, you know what my reaction was. I'm like, I'm focused on the policy outcome. I'm like, oh, so right away, let's go convene special sessions because they're not going to be in session until next year. After the left already, you know, elicited opposition, and boom, before they could ban eyelash, ban abortion, and then use that. As a teachable moment to the American people, the blue states are going to juice up abortion. It's really not going to change. They're all going to go to blue states anyway. Let's self-sort, and let's do this on other issues, because I understand the long game that on net, even with this orientation of the court, we are harmed by judicial supremacism. Right? You're never going to have the courts be on your side to overturn the blue states. We saw that with COVID very rarely, and if you live in a blue state, you're done. But the red states, part of why they can't be red is why, is because let's say tomorrow you and I are in charge of the red states. What's one of the things we're going to do? Have a state compact to deport illegals. Well, right away, the federal courts will come in and say you can't do that. They said you can't even clear homeless encampments. They're forcing transgenderism. So the rare time where we get courage in the legislatures, in red states to do something good, three minutes, it's, it's done in the federal courts. So... I love the fact that the left thinks that the courts are conservative. Good, let's shake hands. The courts don't have final say over political issues. Put it back in the in, in the legislatures. Self separate. They yep. they have taken the exact opposite view of me.
1: Yep, no, that's exactly right. And I think it it speaks to a problem that we're not really even seeing that's in front of our eyes, and that is the problem of judicial supremacy. That the fact that we hang on the courts every single word. For determining everything from like abortion to you know citizenship and there but on the other hand I think it's, it's also easy which is something that benefits the the GOP and the mainstream conservative movement in that there's there's zero effort involved you don't have to legislate if you basically can just you know freak out over the court and basically just try to you know elect more judges or whatever but it, it it's it is the laziest strategy <laughs> that is also like the lowest risk strategy, and it's much harder than legislating. It's much harder than doing what Ron DeSantis is doing down in Florida, and it really kind of keeps us on this hamster wheel. So, like, like you, I pointed out that, like, yeah, like, look, this leak is disgusting because it it's it, it's disgusting because of the like, the potential for violence, but it also shows, and this is good. That we, we basically cannot share a country's yes. institutions with these people. Yes. Great. OK, let's proceed from that understanding and remake the states where we have the power to do so. Like, that's it. That, that's really the lesson from this is like, yeah, you're right. The, the left doesn't care about institutions, like including the Supreme Court. OK, great. What are you going to do about it now?
0: That, that's the problem. Social media posturing has taken over everything. I started in politics before social media. So even establishment Republicans, they would screw us on 80% of things, but 20%, there was a mission and a belief and sometimes accomplish things. Now it's 100%. It's just, it, 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 it it's so subversive, and I don't know how to talk over it. Um, It's so loud, it's so exciting, and it never means anything. And even things that look like historic, oh my gosh, I'll reverse Roe v. Wade, A, it's not as much as you think, and B, what we can do with it, you're preventing us from doing with it. I mean, sometimes they are big things if you actually had the right players on the ground with the right plays to make. Um, So here's the 800-pound gorilla in the room. You and I both know that the first step to solving a problem is to articulate the diagnosis, even if it's painful. And the reality is the conservative movement is irremediably broken The Republican Party is subversive, and we will never, ever achieve our goals without a new movement and some sort of form of a new electoral angle party movement. On the one hand, we really have more people that I think agree with us than ever before. If you actually created that instantaneously, it would be the biggest movement. It would swamp the, the uniparty yep. in a second. And polls have yep. shown this. It showed that the trucker movement would win a plurality in Canada, um, certainly in the United States. Do you have any ideas of what you think we need to focus on? What could be the fulcrum to induce that outcome? What could, maybe it's reverse psychology, making things worse? I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling with this, just thinking out loud.
1: Yeah, it's a tough question. I, in terms of issues, I'm not sure, um, because I mean, a huge part problem is actually social media and the the like news media in general, which tells people what to care about, right? Or tells people what to care about and how to think about issues. And I mean, Ukraine is probably the maybe Ukraine and vaccines, uh, but more so, Ukraine is actually a great example of this
0: the because the, the vaccine at least like you could convince someone you're gonna die of a virus and legitimately they created yeah. the virus so it was going around whereas Ukrainians like okay if you shut off social media why in the world would you care about it?
1: Yeah. Yeah no it's 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 daunting because it has really created a kind of mind virus that brings all opinions among liberals and conservatives into uh, unanimity when it comes to to the issue. So in in terms of like specific issues that could bring people together, I'm not sure. Except for actually just kind of polarizing the division between normal people, uh, as I like to call them, normal Americans and the ruling class. Like really emphasizing that point. Like, look, the people that run this country hate you. Uh, they're they're perfectly fine with your cities being burned down. They're perfectly fine with forcing you to take experimental vaccines that enrich these huge evil pharmaceutical companies. They're perfectly fine with sending you abroad to die for wars that you gain nothing from. You know, at least in the old times, people would get like land, you know, like (laughs) Roman soldiers would get like they would. Oh, my gosh. I mean, Uh, (laughs) yeah,
0: Pedro, remember the 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 war for oil? I was like, if only we'd get the
1: oil. (laughs) Yeah, at least something, right? Like, no, you get nothing out of this. Nothing. And so I think, I mean, that's that's kind of my little project is emphasizing um, or uh, increasing the polarization between normal Americans and the elites, like really getting people to hate the ruling class, because I really mean it when I say it. The the United States government has no connection whatsoever to, to 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 the republic that you care about and you learn about in school. And in fact, your leaders hate you. So, But in terms of, like, okay, now how do you turn that to an electoral strategy? I'm not sure. Uh, running into Democrats not possible. The, the thing with the GOP is that it is deceptively weak-looking. And what I mean by that is, like, it looked like Trump could just kind of muscle on board the GOP's ship and take the thing over and sail it in the direction that he wanted to, right? That wasn't really the case, because actually the GOP is really good at kind of uh jujitsuing populist energy <laughs> and using it to kind of rehabilitate its same old agenda but just putting a MAGA hat on it. <laughs> like that 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 is I mean the, the Tea Party is a great example of yep. this. You know, a good thing that starts with good intentions just ends up kind of being assimilated into the machine. And then before you know it, it's like, wait, you know, what what happened to the populism? It's part of the official conservative machine now. And and, and <laughs> And so it's not actually doing anything. So, so I mean, I mean, in terms of like, how do, how do you turn this into like dual strategy? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you, you you'd have to run people as probably like independence or something like that.
0: Yes. Uh, yes, that's my idea. But, I mean, and, I think, yeah, I think. And you, I think you what you're, Pedro, it. we're almost out of time here, but what you're what you're articulating is a point that I feel cannot be by accident where. Typically, you solve a problem in life, the front end or the back end, meaning it, it could get so bad you come out the other end. So the analogy I give, and I think it's, a real, it's one of my favorite metaphors, is someone choking. Well, there's two ways of dealing with it. You could spit it up or you swallow it. The GOP manages America's decay. So they manage it. But that's not, a lot of people express it, oh, meaning they're like the pale pastel, slow cook. No, it's worse than that. They Because if you didn't have the GOP, you would have, you would swallow it. Okay, You wouldn't, you know, it come up, but you would swallow it and you kind of come out the back end, maybe start new. You'd burn it all the way down and come to a resolution. They perfectly keep you in that choking position in perpetuity. They manage the decay so it, it, it's horrible, it's radical, it's destroyed, but it, it it looks like it's actually not destroyed, and it looks very controlled, like like a controlled thing, and you can deal with, and therefore they ensure that there's no real resolution to it. And I think what I'm having a frustration with is the is the is the Roe v. Wade thing. So on the one hand, at first I was very upset about it, I was like, oh damn, this is gonna ruin our whole medical freedom thing. Um, this is gonna allow all the rhinos to get elected. And um, because all they care about is abortion, and then all the rhinos say they're pro-life, but then they screw us on every other issue. So I was upset about that. But then I was thinking, all right, but this is good, too, because if the GOP won't do it, the Dems will do it for us because their reaction will be so insane, and Republicans are going to go in and ban abortion, and then the Democrats are going to go and, like, have a program in blue states to get people pregnant just to have have an abortion. And that will— lead, maybe that will be the issue because it is the only issue they've groomed the right to care about to create that national divorce, making the state legislatures great, diverging even farther, and then eventually having that self-sorting. But guess what, Pedro? They're not even voting to um, ban abortions. They're talking, right? You see a lot of articles, the Republicans are walking it slow. They're talking about the leak. They're not like, Oh man, this is awesome! Let's go ban abortion, right? There's no, I mean, inevitably some will wind up doing it to a certain extent, but they're not. What I'm saying is, (laughs) it's almost like they have it worked out. (laughs) Yeah, no,
1: I think that's right. And this, I mean, this is really a difficult problem, right? And with no clear solution, and there's like a glimmer of hope again all the way down in Florida because DeSantis seems to be kind of proving us wrong <laughs> or he's just proving to be a kind of outlier. But again, I, I don't think it, it, that's, a, that's also a kind of problem. If you think that like, okay, well that's the future of the GOP. No, it's not. No, it's not. DeSantis is tr- truly an outlier. And again, uh, DeSantis, the, the Vance primary victory, uh, the, the idea that the GOP has been playing 40 chess and that's why Roe is going to get overturned. All of these things are really They, they can be really distracting yes. from the actual mission that we have ahead of us, which is a huge mission and requires all of our focus. And that is like, how yeah. do we break this, uh, the stupid party, evil party death role that the country is in, because that's really what this is. It's the choice between the stupid party, Republicans, and the evil party, the Democrats. And, and every year when, you know, the power changes hands, it's really just like this gator death roll that uh, ultimately continues our, our downward spiral as a country.
0: See, that that's what bothers me. It's not that some of these things are bad. Some of them are good. But it's only good if you ride that horse, if you make the play, if you connect, if you follow through. JD's victory over the establishment was great. And it was good. Trump was finally on the right side of something. But then the lesson is not, Oh my God, we ha, ha ha We took over the party. Like, dude, you won one and you lost like 200 this cycle. You yeah. just never hear about it or talk about it. Um, and not only losing the new open seats and failing to knock off their incumbents, but like we see from Christy Noem, they have knocked off a number of our incumbents, the few we have. And then, so the lesson should be, let's take this to everything and particularly focus on the governor. You know, we lost, We DeWan got reelected that same night in Ohio. Instead, the roadshow is onto Oz. Okay, talk about this a little, Pedro. The next day and 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 Trump got JD into rallying for, for Oz.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man. God. <laughs> I mean this kind of gets back to this problem of <laughs> of a populist movement that doesn't really know how to distinguish itself from the establishment conservative movement and frankly doesn't know how to, to disabuse itself of, of grifters and bad actors. this is actually a problem with populism right this populism is really good in the sense that it's a kind of vehicle that channels popular outrage at a system that no longer serves them i I often describe myself as populist for that reason but the problem with populism is that it needs it actually although it's a popular movement and therefore it's a kind of by nature an anti-elite movement an anti-ruling class movement it still actually needs leadership.
0: Yeah. And you need a destination. And, it can't just be a means and a tool. Yep. You need a destination, right. which is why I don't call myself a populist. I I, I don't yep. I don't have any term anymore. I don't know what it is, but I think you know, to sum it up, it's a division between people who get the system is evil and those who really don't. And that's why I, you know, I had Naomi yep. Wolf on this show, you know, a legacy feminist. You know, I'm sure she's pro abortion and you know, even the homosexual agenda, and it's bizarre. But on most issues, we're going to be more aligned than I am with traditional conservative politicos because she recognizes these SOBs are trying to kill us and they're all irremediably corrupt. And I could work with someone like that more even and then eventually maybe show her that, no, like those other issues are all part of it. It's a part of it. It's the same people pushing it. Um, That's where we need to head. But I think – I think to sum it up, and I'll give you the final word to to close up. That's we, we went over time, but I think it was worth it. Um, in order to get a resolution, you have to slay the golden calves. You can't continue oh, win more Senate seats, win more Supreme Court seats, oh, more Republicans, oh, a better Republican, oh, Trump, and Trump's the, you know, oh, jeez, I, I don't, man, <laughs> Prove me wrong, Pedro. Okay, let's end with this. Let's end with Trump. Prove me wrong. If I'm a leftist, and I don't mean like a, like a guy defecating on a police car like in the street type of life. I mean like a Klaus Schwab, a Bill Gates. Why is Trump not the best thing for me?
1: I think this is the problem, right? Is the difference between rhetoric and reality. And I think that rhetorically, Trump would be a nightmare for someone like that. Rhetorically, based on everything he says and and things that he actually probably does believe Trump is a kind of nightmare for people like the the example that you use, Klaus Schwab. But in reality, that's, he he just has a hard time getting any of those things done. Uh, And a lot of this actually comes down to him not knowing who to surround himself with. Or if you want to even go further, you could say that he, that he's actually, you know, not really our guy. And that's, It's not an accident that he surrounds himself with people like Dr. Oz.
0: At some point, you got to, I mean, pay the piper. I mean, with the criminal justice issue, with, you know, um, I I think what people miss about Trump is you can't really put him into a box. I think, I don't think he hates America. I think he loves America. I think he means well most of the time. But he is a very flawed character. And personal things, there's several things. Surrounds himself with idiots, but also personal benefit will always trump those values that he even might have when they intersect. Um, Two, he's not smart on issues. Three, and they're all tied together, he is very susceptible to the worst spirit of the age. And that is the next new thing. Meaning the media outrage, he claims in the abstract he hates the media and opposes them. But he so focuses on the media, like you're saying, he defines himself Often by the media, and sometimes you'll wind up yep. joining with them. So, for example, criminal justice reform. So he got roped in. Even with immigration, he was all over the map. Dreamers, dreamers, because that was a big moniker in the media. Dreamers, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do better for the dreamers than anyone could imagine. And then the ventilators. I'll have the best vaccines, the best ventilators, and my lockdown saved more yeah. people than your lockdown.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's that's totally right. And so. I think we can, we actually can just kind of answer this question empirically. Uh, Is the left stronger and more dangerous and more radical today than when Trump took office? The answer is yes. So does that mean why would things be different on a second term uh, of Trump? But, but, but of course at this point, if he decides to run, it's kind of like staying in front of a Mack truck, you know, it's kind of inevitable for it. And I understand it. I understand why people kind of want him back. But again, You know, when you look at the environment right now, uh, the left is stronger, bolder, more radical and more dangerous than it has ever been. Uh, And a lot of that, you could say, is that Trump kind of drove these people crazy. and
0: uh, Without doing the things to disempower them like DeSantis is.
1: Yeah, he drove them crazy without having a kind of, uh, he, he didn't go tit for tat with them. You know, like they would kind of call his bluff and... And then he like and that, that was it. He'd just be kind of like left out in the wind. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't see I, I just don't see how that's changed. Um in some in some sense I think that it's, it's actually worse now. Um yes, because it he's is. so desperate. He's so desperate for for attention, he's so desperate to kind yes. of be back in the limelight that basically he feels all like of he's these losing quality... his mojo.
0: It's not <laughs> lost on him that yep. people are talking about the Florida governor and, you know, whereas with DeSantis, it's kind of like he yeah. comes out of the bushes, raids their, their building and sets it on fire and leaves. Trump comes out from behind the defensive position, but doesn't advance and taunts them. So he's just sitting there and then they, you know, they, they, they muzzle him and tag him and, and, and blow him up. You know, it's just, it is so, what bothers me, it's just such a distraction And it will – I'm not even so bothered by Trump as an end to itself. It's just that I feel it's another golden calf that's going to suck out the oxygen from what needs to be done. Yeah, that's right. And and, and again, like everything, Trump could be the solution in part. He could have been that man to solve what you and I could never do, which is win primaries. And he could have gone around and not just endorsed but worked very, very hard, came multiple times to people like Janice McGeehan – and that's one of the few endorsements he did. But then he refuses to come now because he now it's all about the polls. But yeah, of course you're going to be down in the polls. You're the only one who could work that. So he either now he won't endorse anyone who's behind. Well, from the get go, you're never going to be leading the establishment guy, especially if they're an incumbent. You have to work that. Um, he's the great equalizer. He's the only one who could do that. And now it's about supporting anyone who's ahead in the polls. Well, you know, nine times out of ten, that's going to swing against us. So, man, I mean, look, I, th- I hope our audience finds this helpful in just kind of diagnosing where we are. To me, that's therapeutic, um, and that could open up other avenues. Where could people find more of your work?
1: Yeah, well, uh, you can read my column, Theory of a Partisan, at ChroniclesMagazine.org. I've got a newsletter at Contra.Substack.com. Contra? And- yeah, Contra like Iran contra
0: Contra.substack.com. dot com. Yeah. Very, very yeah. incisive stuff. Thanks.
1: I I try to I try to make it incisive. I think Substack has been pretty it, Substack has actually been something that I've been looking more and more to. I have no idea how, but I, I actually really like the, the subscriber based model. Yes. Uh because it it keeps you independent of the of cartel. basically like yeah. That's but it's right. also so I,
0: spawned it's, it's, incisive helpful discussion and information beyond yep. the traditional ones like the yep. information that that I've learned from great substacks they they actually go beyond the just typical like owning the libs but then you own their <laughs> policies type of yeah. thing and, and I think it's very helpful, and, and, I, and I'm really glad you've come along the last few years, and um, I think you're going to be a part of this, and, and I'm glad you, know, you can at least get on one Fox show, because we need some voice there. I certainly can't get on. They'll never have me, but thanks so much for joining us, and folks, we are way out of time. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Till next week, till Monday, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.